You're listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. Where we look back over some of the most interesting science and tech stories we've covered over the years. I thought I'd get the ball rolling with a piece that followed a keynote presentation given by Elon Musk, the boss of SpaceX, to the International Astronautical Congress in Mexico. In this, he outlined his architecture for a very ambitious and possibly unrealistic interplanetary transport system to colonize Mars. A lot of people may have heard it's been in the news that Elon Musk, the founder and CEO of SpaceX, it has contracts to supply the International Space Station. It's got a heavy lift rocket called the Falcon Heavy, which is going to have an enhanced lift capacity. They've already got the Falcon 9, which is doing pretty well until a recent explosion on the launch pad when they were actually fueling it up. No one was injured. but it the did pa- do They it. lost the payload. They though. lost the yeah. payload, yeah. A couple of hundred million dollars worth of satellite and the rocket and some damage to the launch platform. And I actually saw in the news just this morning that there's been some suggestions that might have even been sabotage involved mm. in that. Prior to that incident, it had been a pretty reliable rocket. Yeah. And that's the one that can... can was it one off. of the reused rockets? I don't think so. No, they've yet to use one of them. I yeah. believe that there's, there are plans afoot to to demonstrate the reusability, but not for, a, a, I think, in the next six months. They to, want the reliability of being able to land them from, from that's launch. That's right. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the other thing, which is a, a huge advancement that SpaceX has, has already achieved, and that is to be able to reuse the first stage of a rocket. Yeah. You can obviously save a lot of... There's nine engines on a Falcon 9 on sort of scaled up versions of that there'll be even more engines Mm. which is what he talked about he gave a presentation at the international astronautical congress in guadalajara in mexico he went through his vision for how humanity can become an interplanetary species a spacefaring Mm. civilization and his target is mars Mm -hmm. venus he said is too hot acidic environment very high surface pressure really unfriendly place jupiter and saturn a little bit far out although he did envision that you know down the track if there was a reason to go you could actually use this the interplanetary transport system ITS that's reusable that, he, that he's talking about you could actually use that to colonize or explore the whole solar system mm. not for interstellar travel but certainly for within our solar system so Mars is the target he wants to colonize and he wants to do this by developing a, a really huge rocket which will actually run on a new methane burning Raptor engine it'll have 42 of these clustered in the first stage Mm -hmm. so the Falcon 9 has nine in a cluster the Raptor cluster for this big big rocket the interplanetary transport system that he's envisaging will have 42 in a cluster and then it'll have a bunch more in the second stage and as with the Falcon 9 that first stage will be reusable yep. so it'll it'll launch it'll get its payload up there in this case passengers mm-hmm. going to Mars and then it'll come back down then a fuel tank will be put in place of the spacecraft that had people on the first launch yep. that it'll actually land back on, on the launch pad Cape Canaveral in fact where the uh, the Saturn five moon rocket took off because mm-hmm. it's got a it's a big enough base to launch these really big rockets withstand the heat and yeah all that, so yeah. they're refurbishing that and nasa's given them permission to reuse that 39 a and b launch complex yep. it then goes back up to orbit fuels up the mars colonial transporter well, it releases the sort of top section doesn't it and that doesn't that sort of fixed to the back of what was already in orbit? No, it actually pulls up alongside it from the look of the graphics that Elon Musk was showing at this presentation he gave. It pulls up alongside it, the fuel's transferred over and then it separates and then the tanker goes back to Earth to refuel and be used again and then the passenger craft heads to Mars. Mm -hmm. But... 
there's a lot of things that have to happen, a lot of things that fall into place before yeah. this sort of dream takes off and, and we could see it as reality. Look, it's going to be an enormous rocket. If he built this, the interplanetary transport system, as he's calling it, it would be capable of lofting 300 tonnes to low Earth orbit, more than two times what the Saturn V could lift. Mm-hmm. That's the reusable version. There's an expendable variant, which according to Musk could launch about 550 tonnes to low Earth orbit. What he's saying is he wants to send a lot of people to Mars. Mm -hmm. He's talking about every 26 months when there's a launch window to Mars, when the planets are close, and that's generally when spacecraft are sent there. It minimizes the transit time. The fuel used, all that. Absolutely. He's he's planning on on taking advantage of every single opportunity from now on. So Mm -hmm. starting in 2018, he's got a thing called the Red Dragon mission, which is to send an unmanned Falcon 9 rocket to Mars Mm -hmm. and do a vertical powered landing. So Mm -hmm. he doesn't use parachutes as the Americans have done with some of their landers on the surface of Mars. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a powered descent yep. all the way down. So you hit the atmosphere, there'll be some aero braking, and then you use thrusters to control your descent and yep. eventually touch down soft landing. Yeah. He wants to send lots of people per launch. He's envisaging 100 people or more. Mm-hmm. So the size of the rocket, that's why it's got to have that lift capacity. Yeah. It's a very ambitious, a very imaginative and kind of inspirational thing that he's putting forward. Reminds me back in the 1950s, Werner von Braun was uh, doing television shows where he was talking about inter- interplanetary travel. Mm-hmm. And that actually captured American public's imagination and, and led to their sort of support and, and the government being able to justify spending the billions and billions that they did. Yeah. on. I think it was the Apollo program worked up to be about $10 billion per astronaut in today's dollars yeah. to put the 12 astronauts on the surface of the mm-hmm. moon. So a very, very expensive exercise. He wants to make it much cheaper by reusing key components, yep. by having a tanker that can be reused, mm-hmm. by having the first stages that can be reused just as they are with the Falcon 9. Once he gets to Mars, he wants to be able to create fuel. So the rocket that lands the first people on Mars or all these colonialists, once they get there, then the rocket can actually be refueled by making fuel off the land, if you like, yeah, right. on, on the surface of Mars. So making methane to power these methane Raptor engines mm-hmm. and also oxygen, which is the oxidant, which burns the fuel, yep. getting that out of the wa- plentiful water supply that we know is there on Mars in the yes. form of ice. But you've got to be able to extract those things. You've yeah. got to process them into rocket fuel. And to do that, he wants to build massive solar panel arrays like Solar City in the States that we've talked about on the Just program. Imagine big fields of solar yeah. arrays. But I mean, yeah. to get all this stuff to Mars, to oh. set up a plant that can manufacture rocket fuel for yeah. you, to have that fuel up a rocket that flies back, leaves all the people there with all their habitats and all their supplies and all the things they need. If you want to come back, according to Musk, you can choose to come back on that return trip mm. because they're going to recycle that rocket anyway. Yeah. So it's a very grand vision. I made a couple of... Well, pic- I wonder if it'll be robotics that would install the solar arrays. So you know, send you know, thousands of panels up there and then send automated bots to, to work through and install them. You know, it'd have to be. How would you have humans being able to do that without uh, any sort of self-support system? Well, really? look, they're going to have to have a space suits to survive on the surface of Mars. Yeah. Absolutely. Another thing that was raised in this presentation he gave in Mexico was what happens on the way there. How do you shield your passengers from radiation? Because we know that the, the radiation yeah. environment is very hazardous. Yep. He said that shouldn't be too much of an issue. He did say that it's possible that when there's a solar flare or a solar storm mm-hmm. or a, you know one of these mass coronal ejections, this sort of thing, that could 
pose a specific danger. Yep. What, knock uh, out the electronics. Well, and... well, talking about human health. Yeah. You know, the increasing cancers, all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, in that instance, maybe you, you predict the, sto- the solar storm, you orientate the spacecraft so that the, the passenger qu- area, which is at the, the front of the ship, was farthest away from the, the solar flare. Mm-hmm. Water is a good thing to protect you from radiation, apparently. So maybe there'd be water tanks surrounding an emergency safe zone Evacuation that, that people could go to yeah. on this enormous ship. It requires a very, very heavy lift rocket to be built, much bigger than than uh, anything that exists at the moment or that's ever been built, including the Saturn V. Very large crew and cargo area capable of, of transporting, according to Musk, 100 people or more per journey. Massive solar-powered fuel-generating system to produce rocket fuel on Mars, Mars habitats, and the vast unfunded development costs and big technical obstacles yet to be resolved. So mm. exciting, and there is a video that you can watch. You can go to YouTube or you can go to SpaceX.com. You'll find this presentation that Elon Musk gave to the International Astronautical Congress on September the 27th. It's a fascinating thing to watch and it's exciting. Let's hope it happens one day. Welcome back to From the Vault, the best of beyond infinity. And just sticking to that Mars theme, a promising rocket propulsion technology is stirring up controversy in scientific circles. It seems to defy the laws of physics, yet rumours persist that it's real and that it works. There's been a lot of stuff in the news about NASA's electromagnetic drive or EM drive. It's finally been peer-reviewed and published. And one of the funny things about this is that uh, it does seem to work and yet it defies the laws of physics in a way that, you know, that really can't be explained. So they're kind of seeing something with this propulsion system that actually can't be explained and yet you know there's evidence that it works it was proposed originally as a propulsion system by british inventor roger shawyer back in 1999 so instead of using heavy inefficient rocket fuel it bounces microwaves back and forth inside a cone-shaped metal cavity to generate thrust it's believed that it could be potentially very efficient it could power people to get to mars in just 70 days instead of the normal six months but uh, as I said, it does defy Newton's third law, which states that everything must have an equal and opposite reaction. So very hard to explain how this works. According to that law of Newton's, for a system to produce thrust, it has to produce something out the other way. And the EM drive doesn't do this. In test after test, it continues to work. In fact, late last year, NASA's Eagle Works laboratory team got their hands on an EM drive to try to figure out once and for all what was going on. Those results have been published. There's a paper called Measurement of Impulsive Thrust from a Closed Radio Frequency Cavity in Vacuum. It's being published online to make it available to people. It's also going to be printed in the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics Journal of Propulsion and Power in their December edition. The print edition will, will be out then. It's really hard to explain, but this is a potentially a new form of propulsion that uh, astronauts could use, spacecraft could use, could get them places very quickly, and it does so in a very clean and simple way. The problem is they just can't explain it yet. A little bit of work to be done there. There are still scientists around the world who remain uh, to be convinced by this. It is a little bit odd. Nevertheless, it's been getting a lot of media coverage. This electromagnetic drive or EM drive developed by NASA could be the propulsion system of the future that we've all been waiting for, could enable a journey to Mars in 70 days, which which would be a lot easier for people than having to sit in a cramped craft with other people for six months and then arrive and then face a similar length of journey coming back to Earth. So 70 days each way is is a vast improvement. We'll keep an eye on this one and keep you posted 
interested about any more information that comes available about this EM drive. We also have podcasts that are searchable on our website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where we've taken the best stuff from the program, edited it, cleaned it up, put it onto our website, which, as I said, is completely searchable. So there's a drop-down menu, allows you to go through. If you're interested in space, then you'll find podcasts on space under that heading. If you're interested in gadgets and applications for your smartphone, you'll also find a category which contains all the podcasts that we've done on those subjects a really good resource and a good way to catch up on anything you may have missed on Beyond Infinity. Resistance to new technology, the concern that you can basically get left behind if you don't reskill yourself and you mm-hmm. don't make sure that you've got the right kind of skills going forward. Mm-hmm. And this obviously applies to younger people in particular, people who might be choosing a university degree and a higher education of some form. This is the sort of thing that you need to look at. And there was an interesting paper that was released recently as part of an effort in Sydney. They're into their startup. They're trying to make sort of Sydney a bit of a hub, as a lot of other cities around Australia would, mm. would want to be as well. Produced with global networking firm LinkedIn and Sydney startups expert 360 and code camp they're basically saying that there are few jobs that will be entirely immune to the impacts of technology going forward yep. now there's a pdf we'll link to it on our website that they've put out and you can read this it uh, talks about you know how technology is changing the effects of robotics artificial intelligence the effects on specific jobs and industries the benefits of having innovation hubs like sydney's trying to be a startup hub and Mm -hmm. and other places around the world for example sao paulo in south america in brazil is one of the sort of leading technology places for developing startup businesses and encouraging entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. tel aviv in israel is is one of the leading sort of places and of course silicon valley um, new york those sort of places Mm. are pretty big as well i'll go through the list of countries because they rank the top 20 and sydney's the only city in australia that's in that top 20 and it's number 16 on the list part two of this report that's been put together talks about the need to set up startup and and, and encourage innovation hubs the progress in doing that the role of startups why they're important and how to encourage talent what sort of skills you need and even an immigration imperative that we you know for now because we don't have these skills in certain areas we do need to have an immigration policy that encourages the right kind of people to come in and and contribute to startups in australia the paper's called economy in transition startups innovation and a workforce for the future it was released last thursday some of the key things that it says is that half of Australian workforce jobs are at risk caused by robotics and artificial intelligence. Those are some of the key drivers of change. Jobs that will survive involve high levels of human creativity and social skills. Mm-hmm. If you're involved in transport, for example, with autonomous vehicles, self-driving vehicles, mm-hmm. you know that could replace fleets, you know, trucks, transport, public transportation, all that stuff. I mean, in Tokyo, they've already got an automated monorail, which I've been on, and, and it's kind of disconcerting because you get and there's no driver yep. and it stops at all the stations and does the right thing yeah i think anything that can be repeated can be automated mm. it's, and that's anything that you so if it's driving a car so if you're driving between point a and point b that is re- repeatable therefore you can automate it if it's an office worker a lot of things can be automated through software database development if it's uh, working in i mean i've seen is it south korea i not that i've been there but i've seen a lot of they've got a lot of vending machines uh, even at uh, transport stations and you can go and order your groceries from those vending machines and then it's delivered to your door we're seeing amazon that 
that are doing drone delivery services. So you place your order and then that will be delivered potentially via a drone in future. Gone are the days where job security was, okay, just study in this and be able to get a job in this in the future. That's all coming into question now. It's absolutely right if you're in that creative field or if it's not something that's, if it's not repeatable, if it's unique, then you've got more security. Yeah, it's interesting that they're saying, you know, Australia's actually expected to be slightly less affected by automation than the United States and below the OECD average due to the fact that we have largely transitioned from manufacturing to a largely service-based economy already. Mm. But just some of the particular areas that they, they you know, they're saying that accommodation and food services, well, we think of, think of Airbnb, stays, those sort of things, mm-hmm. they're having an impact on accommodation. Mm-hmm. Transportation, warehousing, we talked about. Retail trade, well, you've got self-checkout at, at supermarkets yeah. now. You know, that would have cost a lot of jobs in, in, yep. in introducing that system. In administrative and support services, manufacturing, construction, all of these are believed to be high risk. And at the other end of the spectrum, things like management of companies and enterprises, agriculture, forestry, fishing and hunting, education services, government, professional, scientific and technical services, they're less likely to be affected mm-hmm. by the changes, the amount of automation that's going to happen around the world. And just going back to the global startup ecosystem rankings, so this is where it's called an ecosystem. The idea is that you create this hub and that encourages the right people to come in and it kind of is a self spreading system so once you've got those sort of people it grows and grows exponentially Mm -hmm. as more and more people are attracted number one place in the world you'd probably guess is silicon valley number two is new york city los angeles boston then number five in the world tel aviv followed by london then another couple of american cities chicago and seattle Uh, And then Berlin, Singapore's ranked number 10, Paris 11, Sao Paulo in Brazil number 12, Moscow number 13, Austin in America 14, Bangalore number 15, and Sydney number 16. That's followed by Toronto, Vancouver, Amsterdam, Montreal. So Australia's well down that list and and Sydney's the only city in the country which is Mm. uh, even on that list. You can go to the uh, website startupaus.com org and you'll find this pretty interesting reading pdf to download as i mentioned it's called economy and transition startups innovation and a workforce for the future it's been published with the support of linkedin and sydney startups expert 360 and code camp kind of calls into question if we need to have a basic income because once we have all this automation there's not going to be the jobs available so what are people going to do if we're going to have robots to manage things for us, clean the house, if we're going to be able to order things quite simply, maybe we need to have that basic income just to support our lives. It is a big change that's envisaged and it's sort of saying either get some technical skills and obviously things that involve you know the sort of stuff that you're into, web development, understanding e-commerce, digital solutions for businesses, that sort of thing is going to be important. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurship is going to be important, mm-hmm. which is something that our Prime Minister has been talking about. In fact, his first speech as PM, he talked about innovation, the need for us to be agile and mm-hmm. innovative, technically smart to, to stay with the world mm-hmm. and where the world's economy is heading. Obviously, there are certain things that won't change. You know, the need to educate kids. Well, you're not going to do all that in front of computer screens. You know, there's going to be a need for that. Teaching things like music, the importance of having foreign languages. Mm -hmm. You know, all those sort of things which are kind of on the humanities side, I guess are still going to be important. But Mm -hmm. even with translation and and foreign languages, you know, there's the technology is getting so good these days. Skype will translate for you in real time. We did a a story about these little headsets you can wear, which you can sit with a smartphone between you, each wearing headsets, and it'll translate in real time from what you're saying to each other. So it's hard to rule out anything actually Mm -hmm. not being affected. The irony, I guess, of the the demise of manufacturing in Australia is that we've, we've made 
an early transition to being a, a service-based economy. Yes. And that gives us a slight head start against uh, other countries in the OECD, including the United States. Let's hope it's enough. Thanks for listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. For our complete back catalogue, head to beyondinfinity.com.au. You can also engage with us on social media, Beyond Infinity RPPFM on Facebook or Infinity RPP on Twitter.